Welcome to On the Spot with Melinda Garvey, the On the Dot interview series where we sit down with some of the most intriguing and interesting women to watch featured in our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On the Dot. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of On the Spot, now available every Thursday on your favorite podcast streaming services. This week, I'm sitting down with Jen Graham, the founder of Civic Dinners. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of On The Spot. I am your host, Melinda Garvey, the founder of On The Dot, and I am excited to be here with you today to bring you yet another fabulous and amazing role model. We all know that we women thrive with seeing these incredible female role models, and so we're excited to be able to bring you these wonderful women and show you their path. And today, we welcome Jen Graham, who is the founder of Civic Dinners, which is a civic engagement platform that uses technology to bring diverse voices to the table for conversations that matter. And we all know how much conversations matter. So I'm really excited to dig into this. So welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thank you so much, Melinda. This is fabulous. I'm I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Well, as we always like to do, we like to go way back. I want to know what your big dream was when you were growing up as a little girl. What did that look like for you? And how did you figure out getting on your path? Honestly, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Going through high school, I knew that I wanted to be in a role that would actually help people. So I thought that would be through the medical route. So I took all the AP courses I could around medicine and science and then ended up getting into Carolina, starting with their first biology course. And remember being like dropped this huge, like 500 page book and being told that I would have to memorize that. I realized right then and there that memorization was not my strong suit. Right. All of a sudden, the creative gene starts kicking up and you're like, oh no. I know. The creative in me uh, wanted to run and hide. And I had always been kind of a closet designer my whole life. Like trinket, I would make, you know, friendship bracelets on the back of the school bus and I would make lanyards and like even walk door to door selling these. So I had kind of a complete passion. I would have I remember doing kind of fairs with the, the local flea market and bring my crafts that nobody wanted to buy. They probably just felt sorry for me. <laughs> they were great. But I mean I knew that I wanted to create something. I knew one day that I would love to run my own company. I just didn't know what. So in college, I switched my degree to business because I figured, well, might as well just learn how to run a company and be able to add value in different ways. But it wasn't until my senior year, second semester in college that I discovered graphic design. Like I didn't know there was this thing called design where I could actually use my creativity, not just to sell products, but actually to like move people and change behavior and and sit in the back of the bus, you know, yes. yeah. leading away, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah. And because I think back also in my head, being an artist didn't seem like a feasible job to me. I felt like I would end up, you know, on a trailer with nine cats making quilts. I didn't allow myself to really bring that to fruition because I just didn't see any role models out there be who I admired that actually could sustain a life and profession. And so I just had this like, it needs to be legit, but also solve a problem. And so when I discovered graphic design, I was blown away and was willing to kind of throw out the business degree and switch. But I discovered that I could go to a portfolio school. Uh, there are like four of them across the country 
country. And there was one little school called Portfolio Center in Atlanta that I had found. And so that's what brought me from Chapel Hill to Atlanta. And it was like a mind-blowing experience. I felt like my creative self was fully alive again. And, you know, versus business school where it's very by the book and you are given exactly protocols of here's what to do versus design school where you're like, you are given a problem and it's up to you to solve it. And you create everything. You're just saying, you're going to build a company and a brand and then you go through the whole design process. And so I became fascinated with design thinking and the whole approach to problem solving as a designer. And so um, it blew my mind, like kind of the whole looking at an issue holistically, asking questions first and getting to the root cause problem and then designing solutions to fit those unique needs. And also I got bit by um, the sustainability bug. I had gone and on a backpacking trip through the Sierra Nevadas for six weeks that really helped me see the light and the smog of California and see the ramifications of what we're doing to our planet. And so I wanted to use design as a tool for good, whether that's social good or environmental good. And so it wasn't until I um, graduated. So most of my portfolio pieces were very centered around social or environmental sustainability, trying to nudge companies to be more thoughtful in their products and efforts. And then I got hired by an amazing firm here in Atlanta called Unboundry that did a lot of strategy and design work for large Fortune 500 companies. And at the time, they were working for Interface. And Ray Anderson had like a spear through the chest moment, epiphany about how his Interface carpet company was actually contributing to the landfills and astronomical amounts. And his story gave me the sense of, wow, okay, design and narrative can actually change the world. If you're in a position of leadership, within companies. So I became obsessed with kind of how do you change a culture internally within companies and then within the larger society. It's been a kind of a wide winding road, but being at On Boundary, I was able to be to kind of explore my event planning side of the world. So they were Todd Martin, CEO, was also the main organizer of TEDx Atlanta. So then I got to step up and really start helping these amazing thought leaders from Atlanta and outside of Atlanta tell their story, boil it down into 18 minutes. So I was the speaker prep coach and helped them sharpen their story, which helped me sharpen my skills as a storyteller. That helped really build my background around, yeah, just helping tell rich stories of real big change makers. But then it wasn't until 2011 where I was biking to work and hit a parallel grate where my bike stopped and I went flying forward over handlebars like Superman. Literally, it launched me into community organizing for the first time ever. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I became a bit um, frustrated with the lack of infrastructure in Atlanta for bike friendliness and the bike accident wasn't the real moment. You know, I, thankfully I was able to just get out of the road and it's in time and I was safe. I had a broken arm and a, and a bloody nose. But um, 11 Alive ended up doing a story on the fact that I called, emailed the entire communications department of the city of Atlanta and let them know about this parallel grade, which by the way, is illegal, not safe. And it was clearly in the line. There was city of Atlanta and the the white line went over the parallel grades, the stormwater grade. So it was on their property. So, but they fixed it within 48 hours. They came out on a Saturday. So I was like, Oh, civic win. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I had found out um, by talking to the Atlanta bicycle coalition that there were 200 other parallel grades that had been on a list, but hadn't been changed. And I was like, Hey, did you know about this list with my new like civic power? (laughs) And uh, they're like, no, we'll get right on it. And apparently they changed most of them. 
on the on the list. And so Eleven Alive did our whole, like a commuter dude wanted to do a story on this, and they had me stare longingly at the grades and tell the whole dramatic story. <laughs> Funny how they put those stories together, isn't it? You know. Oh gosh, but it's almost reminiscent of media today where it's like fully dramatized to be like with dangling arm and bloody nose she escaped <laughs> from the lane and it was this real moment of uh very end they were like oh good job jen you know thanks for stepping up and changing the parallel grace but atlanta's just not a bicycle friendly city i wish it was but it's not and at that moment that's what pissed me off the most the status quo is just not okay. And it, we can't accept that. And so um, at that moment, I started to think about what could I pour my skills into that I'd been learning from design, branding, community organizing, and like throw myself into helping make Atlanta more bike friendly. And so I helped Atlanta Bicycle Coalition really grow this initiative called Atlanta Streets Alive, which was all about closing the streets to cars and opening them up to people for just a temporary four-hour period of time. And I got to re- help rebrand it, reorganize it, and grow it from just 5,000 people usually attending to now, just recently, I think two weeks ago, we had 140,000 people show up. Wow. It's the largest one in, in the country and done four times a year, travels to different neighborhoods and links communities together. And it's become like one of the most beloved community events in Atlanta. So I'm like, take that commuter dude. Like, I love being <laughs> underestimated. <laughs> and we can change the culture when we give people a vision of what it could and should be. And so the Atlanta Streets Alive, like, it's amazing. We see all, everybody's out, biking, walking, skateboarding, cartwheeling. Partners are engaged and active. And now, since then, we've ended up doubling the number of bike lanes in the city of Atlanta. ABC has even hired a chief bicycle officer. And it's just now ABC really has a seat at the table when it comes to mobility in the future. I think people are starting to take biking more seriously because of that work. But that Atlanta Streets Alive was my first ever community engagement project that made me see the light. And I soon wanted to do more of that. So I ended up quitting my job at Unboundary and starting my own company called AHA Strategy. It was all about helping nonprofits and organizations and and even governments really design campaigns that would help make positive social impact. So that was raising awareness around the early child education. So I worked with Get Georgia Reading on building their brand and their four pillars and their strategy to help make sure everybody knows the importance of third grade reading in order to have a life. That's when people switch from learning to read to reading to learn. And if they can't read after third grade and they fall more behind, they're more likely to end up in the system and all of that. So I just became obsessed with transportation and education the core big issues of our time, which then has been the center of my work ever since the past five years. It's been a wild, windy road. (laughs) It is interesting though, because then I'm sure that you get asked this a lot too, but I always, you know, I get asked a lot about like, how do I find that thing? You know, the taking my passion and my skill set, And I think, you know, women especially struggle with that. And I think some of it is this confidence gap, right? They don't necessarily, maybe they have a skill set and then there's something they're passionate about, but they think, well, I can't go. I mean, you took your design skills and had the confidence, you know, go after the city, but I think it's important to see that you really just see every time you faced an obstacle or faced something that you didn't think was right, you just fell back onto, okay, well, wait a minute, how does this relate to what I do? This design thinking and problem solving and looking at the big picture 
And then, okay, I'm really passionate about these issues and putting those things together. And I think that if, you know, more women can sort of do that and they'll, they'll really be able to find that sweet spot of what really gets them going. So I think that's a great message there. So now let's talk about civic dinners because it's a project that you're doing and so important. So I would love just for you to talk a little bit about what the mission of civic dinners are and why you think that right now, especially, it's so important in this country. Gosh, oh man. I mean, going back to the story of that parallel great, just to link these two things, is that that really was the moment that I just was not okay with the status quo and knew I had to do something. So I just wouldn't find something that pisses you off, <laughs> find a way to like pounce on that. Like that's where your passion and your skills can meet. And the same thing happened with recognizing that our like civic engagement system was broken in Atlanta. Like there was, um, the whole concept around civic dinners really started out of a pain, out of the, the feeling that Atlanta back in 2013-14, when it was birthed, was at a low point in its mojo. I mean, we had just failed to pass the T's loss that would you know promise to unclog our roadways and build more transit. And we had also the cheating scandals of the Atlanta public school system on national news. And so it was a pretty rough low point. I had friends asking, why are you in Atlanta? <laughs> I had stumbled into a crew of, of amazing kind of rock star millennials that genuinely loved Atlanta and could see the potential and wanted to have a voice in shaping the future of the city. And so it was really out of a way of how do we create more spaces for people to participate, to contribute, who genuinely love the community and want to make it better and play a role. And so when I see so many city leaders often feel like they're alone, they've got all of the challenges, their cities are also going broke and they've got so many people moving in and they have constraints and they can't do it, but they've got so many citizens that they can tap into for ideas and resources and even actually executing a lot of the initiatives from helping to support referendums and find ways to get more involved. So Civic Dinners is all about kind of playing that mediary between cities, companies, and the best case example of this was back in 2015 with the Atlanta Regional Commission when they reached out to me saying, we want to engage millennials in the long range planning process, but don't know how to engage them. They don't want to show up to our community meetings. They are not really interested in filling out surveys, <laughs> but we know that they are the future and they need to be part of this planning process. So the dinners kind of came about as, as a beautiful way to make it fun, social and meaningful. You know, meet people where they are, go to them, go where they naturally want to convene and, and design conversations that really bring to life the challenges that put all the real hard stuff on the table and create a safe environment and safe space and space for people to really share what they really think. And that alone, just knowing that they're being listened to is so powerful. And to give them a platform to share their ideas and actually run with those ideas has been game-changing for Atlanta. We saw out of the ARC initiative, even just all the way back in 2015, when it was being birthed, we found that Two nonprofits spun out of the civic dinners, one being Advance Atlanta, that was like a coalition that would drive, that ended up driving major referendums around transit that passed for the city of Atlanta back in 2017, $2.8 billion referendum really advocating, getting at the right place at the right time, drumming up support. And then we had three other pieces of legislation that passed that spun out of some of the ideas that were emerging. And we had five people that ran for office after going through the Civic Dinners Millennial Advisory Panel, including Bean Nguyen, who is such a badass, another role model that you should totally interview with. Yes. 
Sick. is the first Asian American woman in the House of Representatives and took Stacey Abrams' seat as she was running in the House. So just a fabulous kind of energy. So how do we harness that was the real big question with Civic Dinners. And we came to the conclusion that we really need more space for conversations that matter and we need to create more opportunities for governments to leverage innovative ways and models to do that. So Civic Dinners is all about creating a more inclusive world where everybody has a seat at the table and where ideas can bubble up to leadership where they can then take those ideas and run with them. Well, and I think that this has, you know, conceptually, it has such a broader application. When you go to your website, right on your big hero image, they call it, it says, be brave enough to start a conversation that matters. And, you know, that really struck me because regardless of whether it's with city leaders talking about a particular issue or whether it's a tribe of women to help figure out how do we advance in these big companies, you know, women in tech, women in STEM right now are really grappling and trying to figure out how do we work together to make sure that we're all advancing. And we've seen that proven out, right? Yeah. Which is now showing that. So I think that what, what I love about what you're doing is although it started with this sort of one nugget of in particular in your city, conceptually, yes. it's really about coming to the table, everybody having a seat at the table, feeling comfortable and being in conversation. So I would just love for you to share just a little bit about, you know, why you think this is especially important for women right now and how it really affects your confidence and your courage to do bigger things. We recently did our own analysis of our website and our audience on social as we were trying to really go big ahead of the election and build the infrastructure. What we discovered was 80% of participants on civic dinners are women. So we recognize that women are naturally conveners. We love bringing people together. We're the organizers, the community organizers. We're the ones organizing PTA meetings and all of those natural. And so I feel like it's a natural, beautiful fit for women. And it is a has been a proven way to actually be able to find your people, find your new tribe that actually cares about a specific topic or issue. We've seen this work with, we partnered with Facebook to launch the She Means Business where we met you in Austin on International Women's Day, had our first activation in Austin in March. And then we had eight cities total across the country and just the energy around the room when you put female founders together around the table and gave them an opportunity to celebrate what they're doing, but then also really talk about the struggles and the realities and the real truth. And people got deep really quickly. And because they felt safe, they felt like everybody here has our back. And we have three big questions that we ask and give equal time to share with one voice at a time. And that's kind of the secret model for, not so secret model for civic dinners, but um, the way the conversations are structured always on a note that is empowering and hopeful. Because we always want women and whoever's participating to feel like they can do something. They can uplift one another. They can support one another. They can have the borrowed confidence of the women sitting around in these circles to really go out and do what they've been wanting to do. And then have the accountability too as well and ask for support and help. I just wanted the final questions from the female founders one was, it's so important to build allies and we often just forget to ask. And so one way of creating an environment where we can ask and receive 
is maybe being willing to ask a question of how can I help those five little words? How can I help you? Can go so far in building the network of support that we need, especially women. I feel like we there's been a lot of false narratives that women are competitive, and that I've seen the complete opposite. All of the key partners that have helped me and mentored me have been women. I feel like we are stronger than we realize, and we're smarter than we realize, and I love being underestimated. So I can <laughs> blow them away. So I feel like creating coming from it I, now more than ever. Um, as we know, I mean, we saw the number of women that have stepped up running for office and say, not on my watch. This is not okay. The status quo is not okay. And we need to be willing to do more of that in, within the leadership work. Whatever role you play within a company, whatever you have the responsibility, you have hiring responsibilities. I mean, there's known bias in the hiring process against women. So acknowledging, raising that awareness to even male colleagues can go a long way and just opening the dialogue and owning our strengths as the feminine leadership qualities of consensus. You know, the dynamics have shifted from like a male dominated command and control pyramid way of communication to really more like a full circle, like where diversity of ideas are really now seen as the secret sauce, that those with diverse perspectives, especially women and on boards, make better decisions and make more money as right. a company. So I think um, the shift is happening and it's up to us to really own that and step into that more confidently because everything is pointing to we need this leadership. Also the research around like disengagement and work because people feel like they're not heard or they're not valued. And I think women, human nature gave us this nurturing component to us that we're naturally able to help make people feel really welcome and safe. And we need that more than ever, especially in the workplace and especially in the community where big decisions about the future are being made with or without us. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the other key message here is being purposeful. You know, you talk about the the outcomes and people going into something and feeling safe. It's because they're there for that purpose. They know that. And I think even trying to think about that in your own personal life, if you're out with a group of girlfriends and having some drinks, you know, test it. Try just being purposeful about your conversation. Try going around the room before you're too many drinks in and say, tell me what's going on right now. And everybody shares that, you know, I think that being purposeful about that rather than sometimes just letting conversation go where it goes is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But being purposeful is powerful. It is. Especially when I see like every dinner table is an opportunity to have a conversation because we're not ever, we don't have many opportunities throughout the day to really convene like that in a way and the power of food and everything so I'm like <laughs> any dinner that I go to now that doesn't have some kind of even simple question or structure going around so everybody can participate feels like a missed opportunity so I do think creating ways yeah and just embedding that into our culture I mean that's really the, the ultimate long-term goal for civic owners is to put ourselves out of business so that people are having these conversations before then if people don't know what to say or what topic to bring up we can provide that kind of safe structure that's been proven and it's going to go positively you're going to walk away with way more faith in humanity and new friends and, and connections so i completely echo the kind of the bravery and that's why we do it. it does take bravery to put yourself out and be like hey i really would love to just hear from everybody what do you think about this like and ask a question that's meant to be positive and help really yeah have everybody kind of give their two cents 
Well, that's awesome. Well, as we wind down, we're going to do something fun today. We're going to do a little speed round. So are you ready? Everybody buckle their seatbelts. Here we go. We're going to get some fun answers today. Okay. So first question in this speed round is what does your morning routine look like? Well, now that I have a 13-month-old, <laughs> I usually around seven-ish, um, he wakes up. I usually go run in, either my husband or I run and get him and snuggle with him a little bit. And then at around eight o'clock, usually is when we finally get breakfast ready and I have a shake usually and, and then head into the office now. Excellent. And what are you currently reading or listening to? Ah, uh, Brene Brown. Anything and everything about Brene Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, needs no explanation there. We got it. We got it. <laughs> Who was your role model? Oh gosh, Lynn Twist. There's anybody who I've heard of her before, but she's incredible and talks about the feminine wing of the bird of humanity and has a beautiful story of how the feminine wing is being fully extended, living through it right now. But it's very exciting. cool. What's one thing that you can't live without? Red wine. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that one. Hello, Rona, bottle of red. (laughs) Excellent. And lastly, what's one piece of advice that you would give your 10-year-old self? Oh, gosh. I would say just keep on it. Keep your eye on the ball and stay with it. No matter what distractions it's all meant to be, the ups and downs are all part of the journey. That's awesome. Well, Jen, thank you so much for sharing with us today. We love hearing about everything you're doing. Tell everybody how they can find out about Civic Dinners and, you know, what you guys are up to. Yeah. So you can go to civicdinners.com to find a dinner or host your own as many topics as possible. We also, in October, we're going to be launching the Lovable City. So we'd love for you to kind of going back to our roots of how City Dinners started as a conversation around loving on Atlanta. We're opening that up to 100 cities all across the country. So we'd love for you to sign up. Well, I'm going to put a challenge out there to our listeners. If anybody is interested in hosting a civic dinner or participating, we want to hear about it on On The Dot so that we can also share that out because I think that's what we're trying to do is just generate this action. So if anybody out there is going to jump on this and try out one of these civic dinners, be sure to reach out to us and let us know about it so that we can talk about you and what happened with it. So And tag Civic Dinners in that too. That'd be great. There you go. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing what you do next. Thank you, Melinda. This is awesome. Thank you. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free daily newsletter and audio brief, Four Minutes with On The Dot. Let us know your thoughts or what you want to hear next from at On The Dot Woman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're here to help you become the best boss babe you are meant to be.